Well, it's good to see everybody. Uh, Pastor David is out because he's feeling a little under the weather uh, earlier this week. And so he's doing a lot better, but he just was kind of wanting to not push it. So he's, he, so just keep pray for him. And uh, I'm not sure about Lisa and Brooke, uh, but just keep them in, in your prayer. So I'll be bringing the word this morning. So it's always a privilege to get to do that with you. If you're viewing online, uh, welcome. I hope you don't turn off the television and you're okay with me bringing the word this morning. Uh, I think I have some good stuff to say. Uh, but let's open up in prayer, and we're going to be continuing our adventure series um, in the study of the characters that were present in Jesus' birth. Father God, we thank you for this morning, and I thank you for every person that is here. I believe they're here for a reason. I pray that you speak to us through your word and through the life of this next person that we get to look at, that you planned to be there for us to see and for us to meditate on. And so, Lord, I just pray to prepare our hearts, prepare our minds for what you want to say so that, God, we can leave and feel fed and full for your purposes this week. In your name we pray. Amen. So we are continuing in our adventure series. Uh, which if you're new with us, we, it's kind of play on words uh, because it's an adventure. And so we are in the season of Advent right now. Uh, for those that don't know, Advent is a time of the year where we get to prepare our hearts uh, for Jesus' birth. And that for us, that it is the most momentous thing that's ever happened in human history. Is that the creator of the universe chose to pursue us even when we turned our backs on him in order to save us. And actually entered into our mess in order to redeem us. And I don't know about you, I think that is one of the most incredible messages that you could ever hear from God on high, is that he, want, that he is willing to be in our mess and to even save us in and through our mess. Advent, for those that don't know, really celebrates three comings of Christ. That there are three ways in which Christ has come to us. The first one is looking backwards to when he first came and the image is the manger, that God humbled himself in the most vulnerable kind of a way in order to be one of us and to fellowship with us and to ultimately redeem us. And so Advent is about looking backwards to Jesus. And that's really important because we believe Jesus truly came, that he died and he rose again. Amen? It's not just a symbol. It's not just a little, I think about it, makes me, gives me a nice spiritual pick-me-up. No, we believe that really happened. And because he truly rose from the grave, that is why there's power in our hearts that is only describable for those who believe in him. It also, Advent looks forward to a second coming. Because I don't know about you, if Jesus only came once and this is what he gave us, we're kind of like, mm, I hope there's more to the story. And there is. That Jesus is coming back. And everything we feel in our heart now that we're waiting for, for perfection, will happen in his return. And it'll be for everyone. And so Advent is about looking backwards. It's about looking forwards. But honestly, my favorite one is that it's also about looking inwards ever since we first believed that Christ lives in us and he is always with us. And that's why he's called Emmanuel. So Advent celebrates all of Christ's coming, behind, ahead, and within. And that means Christ has covered it fully and completely. And I love that about this time of the year of getting to celebrate that. In this series, we've been exploring some of the characters who would have been present at Jesus's birth. We looked at Christ himself first and the reason he had to come which is to save us from our sins, which had separated us from God. Then we looked at Mary, who is an exemplary figure of what life with God looks like reunited. That Mary is this beautiful picture of what happens to somebody when they surrender their life to God through his son, Jesus Christ. And we see these beautiful 
characteristics come out in Mary that are uh, a model for us all, like being humble, being compliant, of trusting, devout, thoughtful, and brave. God had uniquely called this young woman to mother his son, Jesus Christ. And thereby, he encouraged us too, because he reminds us that all things are possible with God, even a teenager raising the son of God. Let it be done to me according to his word, she said, and also gave us one of the best prayers that were ever prayed when she said that. Let it be done to me according to his word. But we know that there is another. Does the Bible say Jesus was raised by a single mother? We know that it doesn't. Now, I absolutely believe that if God wanted Jesus to be raised by a single mother, she would have been able to do it. But that was not what we see in the scriptures, that there is, in fact, another in the picture. And though admittedly the details are scarce, still there, is, there he is in the background, strong, virtuous, law-abiding, and holy. This man, this father with a lowercase f behind the son with an uppercase s, was Joseph. What do we know of Joseph? That this husband and father, boldly yet meekly referred to in the Bible, and yet so important to God that he wrote him into his sacred word. I always thought about that, of what it would be like to make it into the Bible. But then I thought about it and I was like, yeah, but I don't know which story God would tell, so I think I'm okay. Well, we know from Matthew, Luke, and John and their gospels that Joseph was a descendant of King David which was in keeping with the ancient prophecies of God given to Israel, that the Messiah would be born through the line of David. So Joseph was properly within that line, which again reminds us of the faithfulness of God to his promises. He was from Bethlehem, and he grew up learning carpentry from his father, Jacob, who would have taught him the family craft. When Jesus began to preach much later in the Gospels, the crowd said of him, is this not the carpenter's son? Which means that they understood that Joseph, that Joseph's, uh, I mean, that Joseph was a carpenter. That Jesus would have, re would have received that craft from him. The Greek word behind that word carpenter in the English is tekton. Everyone say tekton. It means someone who works with their hands. So interestingly, this actually meant someone who could work with stone and other materials too. Not just wood. I think the reason that the word carpenter is brought out in the Gospels is because I think it's trying to get us ready for the cross. Is that the reason that the wood matters so much is because what Jesus does on the cross is the most powerful and, and, uh, image of wood that we'll ever have. But in fact, we could probably say that more accurately, Joseph was a handyman. He was a handyman. He was able to fix and help with all sorts of things. Which again, I think is a beautiful image because that's exactly what Jesus does in our hearts. Like father, like son, Jesus is a handyman for our heart. And I believe he learned that from his father in an earthly way. At some point, Joseph then decides to move to Bethlehem. I imagine for a young lady that will be coming up in the story soon enough. And he moved to Nazareth, another small town in Galilee. As a carpenter, he would never have been rich or even what we call middle class but enough. Joseph eventually met Mary, who he betrothed and married, and then they started a family together in Nazareth. In fact, we discover later in the Gospels that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Did you know that? For example, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, uh, verse 55, it says, the crowd scoffed 
it says of Jesus, he's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Don't worry, it's not Judas Iscariot. And from other scriptures, we also know Jesus had sisters too. Now, some people would say, well, where did they come from? Well, there's two traditions. One tradition is that because Jew, um, uh, male Jews back then, a lot of times they didn't marry until later in life, sometimes all the way to their 30. That's, uh, one tradition says that Joseph was actually married before and then was a widow and already had children. So when he married Mary, he actually had children already that, that brought into the family. The other tradition says that Mary just had more children after Jesus. What matters for us is that when Mary had Jesus, she was a virgin. Amen? But we know that Jesus had siblings. And this is so interesting to me because oftentimes when I think of Jesus growing up, I have this picture of this quiet, serene, library kind of a home. They had all the attention, like he was a single child. No, that's not the picture. In Mary and Joseph's household, there were at least seven children that are named in the scriptures. We don't know if there are more, but at least seven. And in, back then, they didn't have the houses we have. If you've ever been to another country, most of the time, houses are not very big. They only got one room, then the kitchen, and the open area, and you're done. Imagine having at least seven children plus the parents in that kind of a setting. There ain't no library piece in that place. The picture is, in fact, the, the, what we know all too well, a loud, boisterous, always something kind of a home, yet full of love. In fact, I'm confident Jesus felt very loved and didn't fall through the cracks, as they call it. Because when Jesus emerges onto the public scene, he demonstrates an incredibly secure relationship with God the Father, which is a tribute to Joseph's paternal care and godly example when it came to Jesus' personal spiritual upbringing. You see, one of the most powerful things that a father has in their children's life is to prepare them for that moment when they get to have a relationship with Heavenly Father. That a father's job is to set the example, and not the example of perfection, the example of I'm doing my best, and I'm setting an example, I'm following the scriptures, but I also recognize that I need grace too along the way. But we know that Joseph must have done a good job because when Jesus does show up on the public scene, he's got a great relationship with Father God. And I believe much of that goes back to Joseph's example. So even though he got a big home, Joseph must have been this father that still know how to care and invest in his children. Now let's talk about Joseph's famous oops moment. Everybody say oops. You see, Joseph was not perfect. This is where everybody, all the guys go, amen! <laughs> because we, can, we're, we can't relate with somebody who's perfect, but we can relate with Joseph. Because Joseph's oops is not a small oops, it's gigantic. It's a famous story. And too often, Mary gets the blame. But the reality is that Jesus, I mean, Joseph was the head of the household. He was the lead. And so rightfully, the responsibility falls on his shoulders. The short of it, they lost Jesus. They lost the Son of God, the Messiah. Both Mary and Joseph had received prophecy after prophecy after confirmation after confirmation. This little guy is the Messiah of the world, the one we've been waiting for since Israel is instituted through Abraham. You've got him. And they lost him. It gets worse. 
They didn't lose him in some small town. They lost him in Jerusalem, which was not a safe place. It was a huge city. It would be like losing your child in the middle of LA or Chicago or San Francisco. That is the situation in which we find Jesus being left. And it gets worse. They don't figure out Jesus is gone until two days into the camel journey home. Some of you are like, I've never done an oops like that. Now you might be thinking, how in the world did Joseph and Mary miss Jesus for two days and not notice? Well, because back then, they didn't have highways and they didn't have cars. They had to travel in caravans to go from place to place. Otherwise, they left themselves open to robbers and thieves, which took advantage of small groups of people. And so when families would travel, they would go together. And you're talking tens, if not sometimes hundreds of people gathering together to go somewhere for protection against those kind of situations. So this is the picture. Anybody who comes from a big family, you know when there's a family gathering and you got all of your family members, you're not paying attention to the kids because you're thinking aunt. Uncle sees them, cousins taking care of them, this and this and this and this and this and this. And it's not until you have to go that you're like, okay, where's my children? That's probably what happened. Mary and Joseph like, oh, Jesus is just with the uncle, the, this, my sister, my brother, blah, blah, blah. And then they find out, they're probably just like, hey, Jesus hasn't been home in a while. I haven't seen him in the tent. You seen him? You seen him? You seen him? And can you imagine when Mary and Joseph realized, literally, oh, dear God, we lost the Messiah. <laughs> not just our child, the Messiah. That's an oops of incredible proportion. I'm sure when Joseph realized later that God was going to write this all down for everyone to read, that he probably said, God, do we have to put that one in there? And God probably laughed and said, yes, because it's going to encourage all the other parents hereafter that have oops. Because Jesus still turned out just fine. That even Joseph and Mary knew what it was like to be a parent that might have accidentally caused a scarring experience. And yet Jesus turned out just fine. And I think in many ways that's God's way of communicating grace to every parent who has a child. After this episode, we never hear of Joseph again. And I don't think it's because of the oops, just so you know. We don't see Joseph at Jesus' baptism. We never hear of Joseph or see him during Jesus' entire ministry. We don't even see Joseph next to Mary when Jesus is being crucified. The tradition says because Joseph most likely passed away, which is another tribute to Joseph because in such a short time, he planted all the right seeds in his son. And here's the good news. Don't be too sad for Joseph and Jesus. Because what Jesus did on the cross and when he rose again, he's actually reunited with his dad right now in heaven. Jesus and Joseph are back together and now will be for eternity. It's beautiful. With that, now let's look at the most important passage that describes Joseph and the kind of man he was and how his life can speak to us today and into our own. We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 26 in the NIV translation. We'll have it on the screen for you. Should come up. Thank you. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. 
As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. It's not a lot, and yet at the same time, it's a lot. In this small picture, we see huge things about Joseph that should inspire us to walk in many ways in his footsteps. First, notice it says Jesus was betrothed to Mary, meaning he was engaged. And in that culture, if you were engaged, you were as good as married. It, the ceremony just hadn't taken place. But it says Joseph was betrothed to Mary, and before they came together into sexual union, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. This already tells me a lot about Joseph, especially it speaks into our culture today, is that Joseph was a chaste man. He knew how to restrain those inner urges and not just be a beast that has to follow them, but was able to actually restrain himself and to honor his woman and to honor God's law. That he knew how to save himself and hold himself. That means he knew how to treat women, how to uphold their dignity, and not sin or draw them into sin before God through fornication. It means he knew how to live above his baser instincts rather than to be ruled by them as so many men are today. You see, in our culture today, you read magazine after magazine after magazine, and there's this phrase always in there some way, whether it's explicitly or implicitly, that all a man needs is sex, food, and sleep. And that is a lie. Any man who has any real connection to his own heart instead of just being told what they are by the world will tell you that that is not enough. Because what that means is the world is saying all a man is is a beast. He cannot live. He cannot lead his family. He cannot talk about his emotions. He can't be vulnerable. He can't be weak. And yet every man knows that when you live that way, you die on the inside. Because a man needs more than the message you're just a beast. God made men to lead worship in their families. God made men to be men who set the example when it came to being brave in areas of vulnerability and knowing when they need to ask for forgiveness. These are the core things that God has placed in a man, and Joseph was not afraid to live that out. This also tells me he must have also been a man of great prayer. <laughs> because as all godly men know, it is only by prayer can a man or a woman develop and sustain a truly self-controlled and joyous life. Notice I said self-controlled and joyous. Prayer alone allows both. You see, without prayer, this is, the, the, this is what we fall into. If I don't pray and I try to be joyous, I'm just going to be happy, I'm just going to go for it, then what do you not have? Self-control. I'm just going to do what I want. It doesn't matter. I'll make up for it later. You have no self-control. But then you might be like, okay, I'm going to be the self-controlled one, but I'm not going to pray. So I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to be really good. I'm going to stuff all of my, my problems. I'm going for it. But then what do you lack? Joy. 
What's missing? Prayer. You see, when we pray, God gives us self-control and he gives us joy. It is not an either or. That is Satan's lying game. Joseph must have been a man of great prayer because he was able to both be self-controlled and live an incredible life of joy. The picture that I see when I think of a Christian who doesn't pray, and I was really thinking about this and asking for the Lord's help with this message, and what came to mind is a pitcher, just like a simple pitcher with a watertight lid on the top that can open and close. And then a picture of water all around it. And this pitcher is just submerged in the water. And I felt like the Lord said, this is what a Christian looks like that does not pray. They are completely engulfed and surrounded by love, my power, and my presence. But on the inside, they're empty. But the minute they pray, my life flows in. Who here likes feeling empty? Who here likes feeling full? That's the image. As a believer, you're already in the presence of God through the blood of Jesus Christ simply because you believe. Not your works, because you believe. But if you want life everlasting to flow through you, you got to open up and pray. It also says Joseph was a righteous man. We can tell that this is true simply by the way he treats Mary after he finds out she's pregnant, but before he finds out it's from God. <laughs> I mean, imagine what you would have done in this situation if this was you. You can feel the emphasis, the restraint in Matthew's words describing Joseph that he was a righteous man. <laughs> meaning everything inside of him which felt betrayed and what Mary had done. And yet the scripture still says he was a righteous man. He did what was right. This meant that no matter what, no matter how he felt, what mattered most to him was God's law and God's will to do right by God. But here's the interesting thing. Joseph understood something about the Lord that so many people miss is that when we see the word righteous and law-abiding and we've been hurt or betrayed, that for us law-abiding means stoner. Because in their law, that if you committed adultery, the penalty was being stoned to death. And what's interesting is that's not what Joseph did, even though it says he was law-abiding, that he was righteous. And so you don't see Joseph going, stoner, that's exactly what God would want. I'm obedient to God. No, it doesn't. In fact, I believe it's because Joseph actually had a relationship with the Lord. And he understood that there's another part of the law that God demonstrated over and over and over to Israel. And it was mercy. That God is merciful. That he does not treat us as our sins deserve. You essential to God's character is mercy. This is why we should never be impressed with people who are legalistic or hardliners or condemners. But rather they are like Joseph who even in the face of ultimate betrayal, still desired to be like God and show mercy. Jesus said himself, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, which is exactly what Joseph did. He had every right to publicly disgrace her, to pay her back for the humiliation she was about to cause him and his family, and not to mention her own. Everything was about to blow up. 
And yet, in the middle of it, in it all, he still yielded to God's law. Not eye for an eye. Mercy. What a man Joseph must have been that he chose to break things off secretly in order to save her from disgrace. And let me tell you, some of you in this room, you know how much weeping Joseph probably went through alone in the nights, even as he was still choosing to show mercy towards the one who he thought had betrayed him. What I find beautiful and interesting is can you imagine what Mary must have felt when Joseph then got a dream that she had no way to defend herself and then Joseph has a dream Joseph believed in miracles Joseph believed that God was still moving even in his day when a lot of Jews had stopped believing that because for 400 years, a prophet had not, been spoke, had not spoken since Malachi. A lot of Jews had stopped believing God still did miracles, but obviously Joseph did. He was still a man who believed in the living God who still does miracles today. So when the angel came and he had a dream chock full of unbelievable details, a child conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus, save us from our sins, God with us. He wasn't even skeptical. Most of us, if we had a dream like that, we'd be like, I ate something bad last night. But Joseph immediately recognized this was from the Lord and believed. After the dream was over, he literally got up and did exactly what the angel of God commanded. No questions asked. Why? Because evidently Joseph knew God and believed that God was still a God of miracles. And that so none of this was earth shattering for him. Joseph was a true believer in the fullest sense of the term. He believed God was exactly who he said he was, the Almighty. And I want you to get this, but in a way that always matched his word. You see, for Joseph to be that discerning about God's voice in a dream, he must have also been a man steeped in God's written word. I wonder how in the world did Joseph know that dream was from God, especially considering the stakes? And all I can think that explains it is he was a man of prayer and he was a man of scripture. That God's word must have already been dwelling richly within him, which is why when the dream came, he immediately recognized it as from God, having in mind those other godly dreamers like Joseph and Jacob. I imagine he must have been a man deep in God's word. So often we want God to speak to us, tell us what you want, tell us what you want, tell us what we want, and then we neglect his word. If you want to be closer into communion with the Lord's voice and his will for your life, then you have to be in his word. It prepares your heart, maybe for dreams, maybe for visions, maybe for just the quiet stillness in the heart. But he can't trust us to discern his voice unless we're getting in his word. So you see, Joseph was no average father. He truly was a godly role model, handpicked by the father for his own son, Jesus. He truly was the man behind the son on an earthly level and played a pivotal part in Jesus' upbringing, spirituality, and character. This is all the more impressive considering he not have been alive even by the time Jesus was 30. Such a short amount of time, and yet he helped to raise this incredible 
young man. There is so much here. How do we unpack it as we begin to close? And the reality is I cannot do it in a single message. That's the point that Joseph is in there because God wants him to continue to be an image for us of what it means to be a man of God or a woman of God, to pursue him with everything we've got and to not compromise with the world, especially in the areas of being a husband and a father, which have the greatest stakes. How do we respond to this incredibly godly, chaste, upright, merciful, thoughtful man? I'll give you a few things. First, I think we should believe in miracles today too, amen? That is one of the things, that's the, one of the first things that Satan takes out of us. It gets you so down, you stop believing in miracles. You end up becoming your own worst false prophet about the future. What's ahead? Bad things. Bad things. You realize by saying that you have given up your faith in a miraculous God. Because God says he's good all the time. And all the time, so what's ahead for you, my friend? Goodness. Say it loud. What's ahead for you? Why don't you start saying that out loud and speak it back to the liar? Stop agreeing with the liar and start agreeing with the father. He has good things ahead. Now, does that mean I'll never suffer? No. All of us in this room have had to sacrifice things to follow Jesus Christ. But you know what the crazy thing is? Almost every person in this room, if you did it the right way, you would have done it again for the riches you got afterwards. Amen? God is not worried about our pain and our suffering because then he takes the ashes and makes new life. And it is not life back then. It is new life. More life. And I think many times he does that just to keep reminding the devil, I'm bigger than you. I'm bigger than you. Can you imagine how much it must stink to be Satan, outdone by God all the time? He must be the most angry being alive. We should be a people who believe in miracles too. That nothing is impossible. That whatever it is, it can and I believe will turn out well. Only do not faint, but trust. Trust in the Lord, like the scripture says. In everything, turn to the Lord in prayer. Can I share something with you? I didn't get to share this at the first service because we were a little late, but you guys are last, so I can keep you a little longer if I want to. I want to share this idea of miracles that my daughter actually shared with me. I didn't even know she was thinking on this level. It was only a couple of days ago, Jocelyn and I were finishing up at the dinner table, and we were just chatting. And then all of a sudden, she looks at me. She goes, oh, Papa, Papa, can I tell you about my friend? And I don't remember his name, and I wouldn't tell you anyways in case you knew him. And I was like, well, sure. She goes, well, yesterday at school, he came up to me and asked me if he wanted to be friends. And I said, oh, well, you know, what'd you say? And she's like, yeah, I want to be friends. And like, we're friends now. You know, it's like, she's second grade. So it's like second grade stuff. You're like, oh, that's so cute. But then it keeps going. And she goes, yeah, I only have one bully left. So it drew me in. What do you mean? She goes, well, you know, at the beginning of the year, there's like three bullies. It's second grade, so it's not bad. But I mean, they're bullies. And we've always taught our kids, bullies are just people with hurting hearts. So pray for them. And so that's what they do. Well, but I'm drawn in. I'm like, what do you mean I have one bully? She said, well, the other two, they've, they've already come to me and asked the same. We're friends now. I only have one bully left. 
And I would walk by like, oh my goodness, like through the mouth of babes. My daughter doesn't even realize to what degree she's believing in miracles. And little do those bullies know that there is a young lady praying for their turning hearts. Amen? Stop being your own worst false prophet. And start believing for greater things. And in the morning when the enemy throws everything at you to go back in the negative, I want you to start, I don't care what you do, turn on the worship me, whatever you need to do to kickstart your first part of your morning, it's going to be a good day. You do it. Because I believe by honoring the Lord that way, the Holy Spirit will insulate your mind and your heart. Which leads to the second thing we can learn from Joseph. Pray. Because prayer changes things. I'm very irritated with a lot of the books being written on prayer right now that are coming out, and it's probably because of my Pentecostal leaning, that prayer is now being reduced to you just pray so that you can calm your own heart. And as a Pentecostal, I'm like, you know, bogus. When I pray, I don't believe God just changes my heart. I believe he changes things. Amen? He changes situations and circumstances. If I have a family member who is sick and I go to them and go, I'm so sorry you're sick. You know, that's kind of making me feel a little heavy inside and making me a little hard. You know, I'm going to go pray so I can feel a little peace. That is being completely selfish. You're not that person's sickness. The reason you feel a burden is not so that you can go to God and go, make me feel better about life. I don't want, any, I don't want to be around anybody who suffers. No, the reason you feel a burden is because God wants you to press into him because he heals. Does prayer change your heart? Praise the Lord, yes, but it also changes things. Amen? That is what God wants us to recover is that we are praying for things to change, like bullies whose hearts needed help. And guess what's going to happen to your heart as you learn to pray for changing things? Your heart's going to do just fine. Your heart's going to be doing just fine when you start praying as if God can change circumstances, situations, and people. Because you'll be coming up to me going, Chris, I prayed for this. Do you know what happened? I'm like, just look at your heart right now. How does it feel? It feels amazing. Okay, let's get to the testimony. You see, what's happening is that the enemy is subtly, and I believe even through Christian writers unintentionally, to start privatizing prayer so it's just about us and our feelings as if God's not doing miracles today. Baloney. And lastly is mercy. Joseph was an incredible example despite grave personal offense of mercy. Anybody who has felt true betrayal knows the only way out is through the supernatural work of God. Amen? It will be one of the hardest things you will ever have to go through. But you come out on the other side softer, gentler, more in love with Jesus than you've ever been when you operate in mercy. Despite what Mary had done, or at least what he thought she had done, he still extended mercy. He chose not to lay down the full right of the law and instead drew on God's most powerful attribute, love and mercy, like Father God did for us in Jesus Christ. While we're still sinners, 
he died for us. That's mercy. I want to add this for all parents. Joseph and Mary were not perfect. I think this is one of the reasons God left that embarrassing story in the Bible that we talked about earlier. I believe it was to assure us as parents that none of us are perfect and therefore God is the one who has our children. And so we need to keep believing in miracles, not putting all the pressure on ourselves, but instead learning to turn to God in prayer. Because in the end, Jesus still came out all right. I think better than just all right. But I wonder how much of that is because of prayer. You see, when Mary and Joseph realized that Jesus was still back in Jerusalem and it's going to take them two days to get back there, do not tell me for one moment that they did not probably pray more than they've ever prayed in their entire lives all the way back. And I wonder if we could uh, kind of pull back reality on what was happening in the spiritual realm, how much their prayers, their prayers changed things for Jesus' safety. As a parent, the most important thing we can focus on is not perfection, it is prayer. To keep praying and never stop praying. Joseph knew he was the recipient of God's grace. He knew who he was and what he was, was only by the grace of God. And now that grace comes to us powerfully through faith in Jesus Christ. I believe if Joseph could speak today especially this time of the year, this is what he say. Look to my son. Look to my little child who died for your sins. All that time I thought I was the one holding him, but now I see it was he who was holding me. And to let him do that for you. Scott, would you come as we close? As we respond with just a time of worship, just quiet meditation. I have four areas that, just in a short, simple way, that if it speaks to you, to let the Lord just minister to you and speak to you tonight. The first area, again, is for parents. I really feel like this morning, the Lord wants to extend his free forgiveness. <laughs> for any of the oopses in the past so that it stops taking up real estate in your heart and your mind that he would much rather is cleared up so that you can start focusing on the present and enjoying what is ahead. One of the hardest things in the world as a parent to have to hold on to is the oops, but there is forgiveness and God wants to cleanse and forgive so that you can enjoy the now and what is ahead. The other part of that is I don't feel God just wants to forgive. I feel like he also wants to fill us with supernatural hope for the yes of our children in their own relationship with the Lord. If you have children who have already said yes and they're still walking with the Lord, you keep praying for them every day that they keep that yes, keep that yes, keep that yes. But if you have a child in this room that at some point said no, then you need the supernatural hope of the Holy Spirit to start getting you to start believing for a yes. Amen? We are a people who believe in miracles. If you're not, you're in the wrong kind of church. If you can only hear the testimonies, one day they came back to the Lord. They're on fire. 
We gotta believe for the yes. Second one is children. I don't mean little ones though, it can include, I mean all of us come from a mom or a dad. All of us. There was a moment, very significant moment when you were around, around a teenager where you had the choice to start following Heavenly Father for yourself, but what you didn't know is that the broken image of your own father so got in the way. And what should have been a nice, clean Joseph transfer, it was not that way for you. And I believe like the Lord wants to heal that this morning. That he wants to take the broken image of the earthly father and let you finally let go and forgive. But more importantly, to heal your relationship with the Heavenly Father. Just finally let it go. Three, this is for all believers, is that we should be a people that want to walk in the laws of the Lord, to walk in His ways all of our days, and to do that with a heart of mercy. We know how hard the road is to travel. We need Him every day. So we shouldn't be hard on anybody else, but we should know how to extend mercy and let them know that the, that the power of Jesus Christ is enough. And to extend that to them too and help them to believe. That as all believers, to follow God's law, to practice mercy and love towards people and prayer, which is what fires it all up and makes it work. We should be a people of prayer, opening ourselves up to what is already there by the blood of Jesus Christ. And lastly, and this is the one that's soft on my heart, to fathers, everybody's a father in this room. Let the sun just hold you this morning. That's it. Let the sun with the capital S hold you this morning. As a husband and as a father, and some of you have been doing this a lot longer than me, but I can relate with this thing, and I hear this a lot in guys' hearts when they open up is they go, I don't have anybody to talk to about the deepest things, the areas that feel like I'm failing. When I try to talk to my wife, it's just not the right fit. I definitely can't talk to my children. Even when I talk to my buddies, it just doesn't, it helps but doesn't get into that, that area I need. What are we missing? It's the son. The fathers, all of us in this room, we need more than anybody else is to be able to rest in the Son, in Jesus Christ. That is the one we're looking for. And when a man rests in the Son, he comes alive. And everything God has called him to do, he can't do by the grace of God. But we gotta stop separating ourselves from the Son and start act, stop acting like we can do it all our, on our own. We have to at least learn to open ourselves up to Him. And by doing so, He will work His righteousness in you. I believe that if there's some men in this room, you just need to rest in the sun. That might feel incredibly vulnerable, that's the point. I still believe if you and faith will do it, you will walk out this room and you will feel stronger and more full for everything that the Lord has for you. So whatever those areas spoke to your heart, Respond to the Lord in this last song of worship and let him minister to you. Father God, come. Through your son, Jesus Christ. In the presence and in the power of the Holy Spirit.
tells us one of the ways that he speaks is through his body and one of those ways is supernaturally through the gift of speaking in tongues with interpretation 
It's his way of letting us know that he is present. And according to that word, he is with us to follow his ways, to trust him. Father, we thank you for that beautiful word. We thank you that you are not a God who just gave us a book, but you are a living God who still speaks today. Through the body and also in our hearts. Lord, I just pray a blessing over all of us and myself included. We need you, Jesus. Teach us how in our spirits to rest in you. And when we get restless, to come back to you. Come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is light, only let me teach you. So Lord, I just pray this week that Joseph, your earthly father, would just be before us. And that like him, we too would be a people that believe in miracles and in greater things that we will be a people that this week we reopen ourselves up to your presence in prayer and let you fill us up. We may not even be good at praying, but just placing ourselves in your presence, we open ourselves up to yours and you fill us with life. Let us be a people of your word. And where we don't understand, I pray we would pray like the Psalms, that we'd ask for your light instead of just getting upset and closing it. Instead, we'd ask for your light to feed us and enrich us. And Lord, I pray that this week, especially with all the crazy hustle bustle, <laughs> Lord, let us stand out by being a people of mercy. That we're gonna be around people who our first instinct irritate us or bug us or even offend us. But Lord, I pray that we would remember that we are here for a reason and that part of our light is to extend mercy. Give us the strength, Lord. Pray a blessing over every person, every couple, and every family. Stay with us as we stay with you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. I hope you have a great week. Oh, you know what? I'm going to pray for Pastor Dave if you don't mind. Jesus, I just lift up Pastor Dave and his family to you. Just pray that you continue to put them on the mend, that they will feel all better even by the end of today. And that, Lord, we look forward to seeing them again next week. Lord, be with them and bless them too. We miss them. I look forward to seeing them. In your name, amen. Thank you, everybody.